Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about emotions. I was explaining that there are a lot of people who live their lives by their emotions. They really do live their lives according to their feelings. They believe that how they feel is what is the most important thing in life, regardless of what the consequences may be for themselves or for others, especially for others, that it is more important for them to feel good than anything else that could possibly exist. And I was explaining that there are, of course, some serious consequences that will easily result from that, and either that individual will face those consequences or somebody else is going to have to face those consequences on their behalf. But I explained that there are consequences to that, and I gave one example. I said, if you don't feel like going to work and you don't go to work, well, then you're not going to get paid. You're not going to be able to provide food for yourself or for those who depend on you. You're not going to be able to provide yourself with a place to rest or others who may also depend on you for a place to rest. There will be serious consequences, and quite often people have to go and work even though they don't feel like it. That is the society that we live in. That is the world that we live in. This is not the Garden of Eden. This is a world filled with sin and suffering. God made significant changes after the fall of Adam and Eve, and one of the things he said to Adam was, you're going to have to go to work, and it's going to hurt. You're going to sweat, things like that. This is not going to be fun for you. It's just not going to be something that's going to make you feel good, but you're going to have to do it anyway. One of the things I'd like to talk about in this program, though, is that sometimes it can be very difficult to find work. This is a very serious reality that a lot of people face, and so I do want to take a few minutes just to talk about that, that sometimes this can be very depressing. It can be very difficult to find work sometimes, and sometimes people will use depression as an excuse not to go look, because sometimes you find a job, and most of the time you don't. Most of the time when a person goes out and looks for work to do, they get faced with a significant amount of rejection. And anticipating that kind of rejection can be really depressing. So what some people do is they look at that situation that they're faced with and they say, you know, I just don't feel like looking for work right now. I feel really depressed. I don't need any more rejection in my life right now. And, you know, I can understand that to an extent, but eventually you will just have to do it even though you don't feel like it. You will still have to find some way to do that at some point. But this is one of the reasons why some people want to be depressed, why they want it to be called a medical condition or some condition that is beyond their personal control so that they can use it as an excuse as an excuse for not doing things that they could do, or an excuse for incompetency, things that they cannot do, but they are not willing to learn how to do those things. 
There are many opportunities for people to use depression as an excuse, and of course there are many people who will support that, who will endorse that, who will do whatever is necessary to ensure that this person never looks for any work to do until they feel good, which of course probably will never happen. Especially when you consider that one of the reasons why they don't feel good is because they don't have work. So what are you going to do with that? Feel bad because they don't have work, and so don't let them go looking for work because it'll make them feel bad. But if they found it, then they might feel better. You ever thought about that? No. Oh, no. That, for many people, is unacceptable. First, we have to find some way to make them feel good, give them some self-esteem of some kind, and if their emotions are overcoming them, then let's make them into a zombie or something with drugs and alcohol, you know, something, anything, until they're ready to go out and pursue that. But you know, there's all kinds of opportunity for rejection when you do that, and there are other challenges as well. You know, sometimes our obligations are much greater than what we will be able to earn if we do certain kinds of jobs. We may be able to find a job, but it may not cover all of the obligations that we have, and we have to make a choice between taking that job and defaulting on some of our obligations or not taking that job, hoping that we can find one that will allow us to meet our obligations. This is a very difficult problem to solve, but in this case, it's just a matter of time before the problem is solved for you, because if you don't do something, eventually you will default on your obligations anyway. There are other issues, such as you're not going to be paid as much as you were paid before. That might be the case, and, and if that is the case, then that means you might feel like you're not really being paid what you're worth. And that can be very depressing. It can. I can understand that. And if you feel depressed about that, I think you should be depressed about that. I really do. I think that if you feel depressed about something like that, then that shows that you're alive, that you have feelings that you are a healthy individual because you feel bad about something that is bad, that is disappointing. I can appreciate that. I can really understand that. And you know, sometimes when you go looking for work, sometimes the person who is considering hiring you, they may see you and think, my goodness, you seem depressed. I'm not sure if I want to have a depressed person working here with us. I'm not so sure about that. You know, these are obstacles that people face all the time. Now, I'm giving you this example because I want to tell you something about perception. Perception can be a serious problem-solving technique. Just because of the way you look at something can change everything about your situation, about your problem, and about the solution that you may apply. For example, this is a problem that can be turned into a solution. If I was to go to a prospective employer and I felt really depressed because I hadn't been working for a while, I feel really bad about myself, I feel like I have no value, I feel like I'm an embarrassment to society, that I've let my family down, things like that, and I go to this person feeling like this, hoping that they don't reject me, I can use this to my advantage. This is a shift in perception. I'm going to use this problem to my advantage by looking at the person who is interviewing me and explaining to them, listen, I don't know about you, but I find being unemployed very depressing. I do. Can, can you sense that from me? That I feel really depressed over not being productive, not contributing to society, not being a part of other people's lives and 
making my life and their life better? This is really disturbing me. I want you to know that I, as an individual, I really want to work. I really do. It means a lot to me because I can feel it in my bones. I feel it in my heart that I really do need to do some work. And I just want you to know that if you'll give me the opportunity to do that, I will really appreciate it. It will mean a lot to me. This is a way of taking a problem and turning it into a solution. Now, I'm just giving you an example. Everybody's situation is their situation, and everybody's circumstance is different. And so it is impossible for me to tell you every possible combination of problems that can be turned into every possible combination of solutions. But I want you to take this example and think about it from your own point of view, considering your own issues, your own problems that you're trying to solve, that maybe you might be able to find a way to turn it into a solution in and of itself. Or maybe someone else can help you do that. I think it can be very valuable to reach out to friends and other people who are important in your life and ask them to give you a different perception of something that you're dealing with, something that you see. And of course, there can be other complications. Like I mentioned, that you're not going to be paid what you're worth. You know, that has to be the case. Unfortunately, it just, it really has to be the case. Because if someone is going to give you work to do, they cannot pay you what you are worth because they have to make a profit on the work that you do. If they don't make a profit on the work that you do, then it's not worth the risk that they have to assume on themselves to give you this job because maybe you'll fail or maybe there will be additional costs that you're not aware of, things like that. You have to recognize that they cannot do that. Otherwise, they will not be able to justify giving you that work. They might as well just not give you the work at all. They might as well just do it themselves or just not do it at all. Just shut the business down because it just isn't worth their time. It isn't worth their resources. It isn't worth the risk that they have to assume in order to provide you with the tools, with the facility, with whatever they need to provide you with, with the customers. How about those people? With the customers in order to be successful. And so understanding the nature of business and understanding that you're not paid according to what you're worth, you're paid according to what the job is, what the job is worth, what is the result of the job. When you can consider things from that point of view, sometimes you can solve your problems this way so that you can move forward and begin to solve other problems that you're dealing with. So I wanted to mention that in this program in order to give you an example of how problems can be solved because, you know, there are solvable problems. There are. But on the other hand, there are unsolvable problems. There are some problems that just simply cannot be solved. We have to understand that. We have to recognize that. I explained earlier that this shows you that this is not heaven, that this is not the Garden of Eden, that there is sin in the world that people do evil things, you know, stuff like that. If you will not accept that as reality, you are going to have serious problems in your life, especially because of all of the problems you are going to cause in other people's life in addition to your own. You must understand that this is the state that we are in 
And you have got to find a way to navigate your way through it if you're going to be here for the reason why God wants you to be here. And I believe there are, of course, many reasons. So when it comes to solvable problems, you know, those are pretty easy. I could talk about different case studies and I can give you examples on how a problem can be solved like I just did. But, you know, I don't really want to take the time to do that in these programs because what I believe is more important for most people, especially concerning this subject, is to understand the nature of unsolvable problems. Unsolvable problems are very, very real and there is a way to respond to the situations that we will face in life for which there will be no solution. Now, it just so happens that I used to teach at a university, and one of the courses that I taught was a philosophical course on how to solve impossible problems. I did. I taught an advanced-level graduate course on how to solve impossible problems. Now, to get in this class, I had prerequisites. You needed three levels of calculus, linear algebra. You needed to be able to write computer software. You needed some serious qualifications just to get in the door. And even though many of these qualifications required advanced mathematics, this was not a math class. I'm certainly not going to teach this course on the radio, but I'm going to tell you the philosophy behind it and how it can be applied to what I'm talking about right now. The, the philosophy behind the course I was teaching was that even though you will never be able to find a solution to the problem you're faced with, you can still get close to the answer. You can get close, and then maybe you can find a way to get closer to the solution. And then again, you can find a way to get closer and closer and closer, and eventually you might get so close to the answer that it's good enough that it gives you an answer that allows you to solve other problems that you're faced with, which was the whole premise of the course. Well, it's very similar in the situations of life and relationships and, of course, our relationship with our God, that there are many things that we will never know, but, you know, there are things that we can know. There are many things that will never be solved, but, you know, we can still get pretty close to solving them sometimes. Not all the time. You know, some unsolvable problems have the characteristic that the consequences of this problem are either going to be bad or really bad. And then you just have to choose. Do you want really bad or just bad? And so you choose the bad consequence just because that's the best you can do. That's as close as you can get to having as fewer consequences as possible compared to the consequences that you're going to get if you don't make that kind of a decision. You know, some things are like that. But some things are different where you just simply have to do the best you can with what you have. One of the types of problems that we face in life are situations where we see that we're going to die before something is going to be solved. We're just simply not going to live long enough. Or we're experiencing something that cannot possibly be repaired or fixed. You know, there are plenty of situations, physical situations, where we may be injured, for example, and you're just simply never going to recover from that injury. You're going to have pain, as an example, for the rest of your life. That's just simply the way it's going to be. 
There may be no way to avoid that. Or the cost of medicating you is so high that it's better to just live with the pain so that you can still function in other ways. Those are very, very hard decisions to make, hard problems to solve. But the fact is, is that we just simply have to do the best we can with what we have. When we start out in life, for example, we don't always have all of the things that we want to have. So we do the best we can with the things that we do have. We cannot get an absolute solution. It is an unsolvable problem because you can't get everything you want or everything you think you need or maybe everything you do need. And so you have to just simply get as close as you can, as you possibly can, with what you do have. That is how you can navigate through your life and how you can get through it, how you can overcome the serious depression that will result if you assume that an unsolvable problem really has a solution. Because it may not. It just simply may not have a solution. Sometimes this can be a little bit more obvious when you're in a relationship with somebody else. It can be a little bit more obvious that there are some problems that are simply never going to be solved especially when it comes to marriage. When we get married, we may have expectations, we may have goals, we may believe that two people are supposed to live with each other in a certain way, and then we discover that these expectations are not going to be met, and these goals will never be achieved, and the way that you thought you were going to live is just simply never going to be the case. It's not going to happen, because, you know, in a relationship like this, now you have two people involved. I mean, when you're by yourself... Whatever you do, whatever you decide, you suffer the consequences or you experience the benefit. What you do or what you do not do only affects you. But when you join together with another person, especially in a marriage, what you do and what you do not do will affect the other person no matter what. There is no way to avoid it. And what that other person does or what they do not do will affect you and there's no way to avoid it. When two people are married, they have to come to a point. If they don't, then of course, they'll have some unsolvable problems just because of that. But hopefully, at some point, these two people, the husband and wife, will look at each other and they will see each other in this way. We are in this together. We really are. We are in this together. And there's no way around it. But you know, sometimes people make decisions that affect the other people in such a way that this will be a real opportunity for depression. It really will. Because your spouse might make decisions, might create problems for which there simply is no solution. Or maybe there is a solution, but they will not cooperate with the solution. And so you may have a solvable problem, but because the other person is unwilling to be a participant in the solution, it becomes an unsolvable problem. And that can be really depressing. It really can. It's in these circumstances of life that you've got to get in touch with a very important biblical principle. And that is that God will never interfere with the will of another person. He will never do that. Now, people may be affected by his presence in such a way that he may cause them to behave in certain ways like he did with Pharaoh. But that was because of Pharaoh's pride when he was confronted with the reality of the living God. The fact remains is that everybody gets to choose and decide what they're going to do. And God is not going to interfere with that. 
Sometimes when we assume that we can interfere with the will of our spouse, then we will find that this is just simply not going to happen. This is not going to be the case. This is going to be an unrealistic expectation, and we're going to experience a lot of rejection and disappointment, and we're probably going to be depressed as a result of that. But the fact remains that you are still going to have to decide if you are willing to live with this person in the midst of this problem that will never be solved. You have to make that decision. Now, I really do believe that people should do everything possible to stay together if they're married. I really do. I don't want to encourage you to divorce your spouse because you don't think that a problem is being solved appropriately and you decide that you're not going to live the rest of your life this way. I don't think that that's always going to be a good approach because it doesn't matter who you marry in that context. You're always going to find someone who's going to create this scenario for you or you're going to create it for them or together you're going to do it such that you're just simply going to have to realize that your life will always be like whatever you find it to be. So it's not necessarily a good solution model to just dump the spouse and then go find another one. You're going to still have similar problems or maybe different problems. Maybe you're going to have worse problems. How about that? That happens a lot. So you have to decide. You have to actually make a decision to say, I recognize that I have unsolvable problems, that there are consequences, and I am going to live with these because I believe that it is much better to stay married that it is much better to be in this relationship and to live this life, that the benefits are much greater than this cost, that this cost is worth the benefits of the commitment that I made, of the devotion that I have committed myself to, things like that, that those are the kinds of decisions that we have to make in order to get on with our lives, in order to do the best we can with what we have. You have to do this. If you don't do this, then you are going to have some serious emotional problems. And if you don't have serious emotional problems, then I would be concerned about you because not recognizing this reality of life, to me, should lead to some serious emotional problems. But eventually, if you will recognize the fact that everyone is a person, everyone is a person, and part of being a person is having feelings, It's about making choices in our life. It's about deciding that there are things that are important to us and there are things that are not important to us. And when you're together with someone, there will be disagreements. There will be conflict. But you can still live a life in the midst of that. Now, if you fail to appreciate this, if you fail to understand this, there will be a serious spiritual consequence a very critical and potentially catastrophic spiritual consequence. What would that be? How can you possibly know the heart of God? How can you know His heart? How can you know Him and appreciate who He is and what He is doing now and today? How can you possibly know that and understand that? Do you think that this world is the way that he wanted it to be when he created it? I don't. What I see in the scriptures is that he wanted things to be one way and he provided people with the opportunity to choose otherwise. They chose otherwise. And now things are not the way that he originally wanted things to be. You think he wanted 
there to be all this suffering? Do you think he enjoys this? Do you think he likes the fact that there's so much sin in the world? I don't think so. I really don't. But you know what? He is doing the best he can with what he has. And to me, what he does is amazing. Absolutely amazing. And the end result, looking at it, is so much greater than what he had before, that that is even more amazing to me. Does that justify it? Absolutely not. But it is a fact that our God is doing what he can with what he has. Does he want anyone to die without knowing him? I don't think so. But that's what happens. And he lives with that. And he works with that. And he continues to participate in this world and be a part of people's lives and have relationships with people, knowing that there will be failure, that there will be problems that will never be solved, not in the way that he would like. Now, I'm not saying that to say, if God can do it, then so can you. Of course, I'm not saying that. I'm not expecting you to be like God, but I am expecting you to consider this as an opportunity to know your God, that while you cannot do this very well, most of the time, You may know the heart of God, the one who does do this, the one who does strive through this, who does suffer, who does feel bad, and who does feel good, who feels, who lives, and who continues to work in the midst of the complications and the problems and the situations of life. And through those, he finds joy. But how will you ever know this? How will you ever know this? When you don't know this in your own personal life. I mean, how can that be? I really do believe that this is a serious barrier that people have that prevents people from experiencing a healthy relationship with their God. And so if you will look at God's position, if you will look at his situation, when he creates the world, he creates people, and he wants people to know who he is, but because people refuse They do not want to know who he is. What he has is an unsolvable problem. But in the midst of his unsolvable problem, he does the best he can with what he has. And he does very well, in my opinion. I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you, man.